2 Timothy, Paul's second letter to his young apprentice. As you're turning there, just a good word of encouragement I shared with the early service. Uh, I'd like to remind all of us, myself included, how important it is we see the prayer of illumination in the order of our worship. For you know, even better than me, I'm just a man, and my wisdom is nothing compared to even the collective wisdom here in the pew, but we don't gather here this morning to hear my words. We gather to hear God speak by and with the Word, His Word, and the power of the Spirit. And so as we pray this prayer every week, as I pray before we have the reading and the hearing and the preaching of the Word, I encourage you to listen and to actively pray with me that the Spirit would give your heart wisdom and illumination. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we do come to you because we are needy people. I, most of all, in this time that I would presume to speak your word, and I pray that you would enlighten all of our minds, that you would be pleased with the meditations of our hearts, that even the words of my mouth might be in keeping with your will, O oh God, for you are our rock and our redeemer, and to that end, O oh Spirit, we pray, come, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord Jesus Christ, we pray this all for your glory and his strong name. Amen. As I said, we're going to continue in our sermon series on the letter of Paul, the second letter to Timothy. And I encourage you to follow along. You can find it printed in your bulletin or you can follow along your ESV Bible. But I'd also encourage you over the coming weeks to read through this letter and maybe even read through first letter that Paul writes to Timothy, they are very similar but very different, written at different points in Paul's life, and I would remind all of us, this letter is written as Paul's last letter that we have, the last uh, bit of scripture from his hand, and it's at the end of his life, and as we talked about last week, it's, it's as a father imparting wisdom to a spiritual child in the faith. So I will read for us the first 13 verses of chapter 2. Hear now the word of God. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the Word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. We come hearing Paul's instructions to the young Timothy on what it means. 
Scripture to the Lord Jesus. I think maybe a, a good illustration for us this morning, if you'll remember with me back to the Old Testament right around the time of our first reading, that story of Balaam riding his donkey. I think it's a good illustration of Paul's teaching here. And you'll remember it's not simply a story about a man and his talking donkey, but to, to, to give us a little bit of that story, Balaam rides out at the request of Balak, the king of Moab, those mortal enemies of the Old Testament people of God. Unfortunately for him, I think he learns the expression, stubborn as a donkey. The text in Numbers 22, just before our first reading this morning, explains that the donkey saw clearly on the path, on the road to which they were going, the angel of the Lord. And she faithfully diverts course. Balaam, in his frustration, strikes the donkey. What are you doing? And the donkey continues and persists, as we know, not in rebellion, but in seeking to safeguard her master. The angel of the Lord now appears a second time right in the path, and she diverts again, as it were, pressing him even up against the wall in the vineyard. And he strikes the donkey a second time. What are you doing? Finally, a third time, the donkey comes to a halt and lays down where there was no place to go to avoid the angel of the Lord, this messenger of God Almighty. And as Balaam strikes the donkey a third time and, and curses her, wishing that he had a sword even to slay her, the Lord opens her mouth. And we know the, the comedic irony in the story is that this prophet needs to be prophesied to from his animal. She says, what are you doing? Have I, your donkey, your whole life carried you? Have I ever acted this way? And Balaam kind of stupefied, as I think I would certainly be, says, well, no. And his talking donkey, and the Lord opens his eyes, and he sees clearly this angel before him with sword in hand, ready to strike him down. And the Lord gives him a word of warning, saying, this donkey had not diverted course, you would be dead. How humble he is, and as he departs on his way, continuing in his journey, God explains to him and gives him a stern warning to speak only the word that I will tell you. And from there, the story plays out. There's an exchange as the king of Balak has sought to employ Balaam the prophet to, to curse God's people, that he might be victorious over this coming army. We know the exact opposite happens. Balaam does as he's commanded, and he only pronounces blessing over the people of God, for God would seek only to bless his people. And it dumbfounds the king of Moab. But I think that that highlights some of what we're talking about here as Paul instructs Timothy what it means to be a good soldier for Christ. It means first we'll see that the methods and motivations of a soldier are very important. How the soldier goes about conducting the business of God is important. But secondly, and probably more importantly than the methods and motivations, the message of the soldier is supremely important. As God revealed of old to Balaam, also, as Paul is instructing Timothy here now, turn with me your attention back to the text. We see right from the beginning of chapter 2, Paul tells Timothy, you then, now we need to understand this is 
pointing our attention back to chapter 1, you'll remember with me, the last words as that chapter closes, Paul gives practical application to Timothy. He highlights a negative example, these two men, Fidulus and Hermogenes, who've turned away from the faith. They've abandoned Paul. They've left the teaching there of the apostles. They've begun teaching a different gospel than what Paul has given. And a positive example, though, is Anisiphorus, this man who, upon coming to Rome, diligently seeks for Paul to tend to his needs, yes, but to sit under his teaching, to learn to be disciple from this apostle, this eyewitness of the risen king, Jesus. And so Paul is instructing Timothy, you need to be like them. Not the negative examples, but you need to be like those who would sit at the feet of Jesus, who would sit under the teaching of the apostles, the men who taught the true identity of Christ. But it's more than this. It's not just that Timothy would sit under the teaching of Paul, faithfully guarding that deposit entrusted to him. But Paul continues by saying, keep being strengthened. That's the sense of the text there. We read, be strengthened. But in that tense, it's keep on being strengthened. Day by day, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We would understand that then as There's grace in no one else. If we're to be strengthened day by day, day in and day out, by the grace of Christ, we're to forsake all others. We're to forsake other sources of hope or identity or seeking grace or favor in the eyes of others. But we're to be strengthened in the grace that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul then extends his teaching in verse 2 by telling Timothy to follow his example also. He says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see, not only is Timothy to be like Onesiphorus, not only is he to sit at the teaching of the apostles and the prophets before them to, to guard the deposit of faith given to him, but he's to pass it on. As a good soldier will tell you, amidst the ranks of soldier, you're only as strong as the man or woman beside you. Paul is encouraging Timothy then, pass on this faith, entrust it to men who will be able to disciple just as I am discipling you. We should note then, as Paul says, that what you've heard from me is in the presence of many witnesses. That phrase, in the presence of many witnesses, gives authority and weight to Paul's gospel. When he says, the gospel that he preaches over and against false teachers, as he's instructing Timothy to guard the deposit, we need to understand that Paul's witness stands in the same line as the apostles. He's claiming authority in what he teaches to Timothy, not just words like you and I exchange words of wisdom, but the teaching of Scripture. That's why it says in the presence of many witnesses, all the other writers of Scripture. And Timothy is to follow Paul's example by passing on this knowledge. This knowledge, we might say. Timothy is to make disciples in earnest then. His primary business in rearing the church and shepherding the people of God is to train up people in the faith. 
discipleship takes energy and effort, both on the part of the teacher and the student. A lot of our culture, even in the church, is enamored with the idea of, of evangelism. Important though that may be, we, we seem to only hear one side of the calling of Christ and the Great Commission. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But we forget often in teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded. Because that requires work and effort and a lot of energy. And Paul is encouraging his young apprentice then to devote yourself to finding these men who are able to teach. I heard a great quote recently on discipleship. Listen person says, you know you're making true disciples of Jesus Christ when your disciples are making disciples. Do you hear that again? It's important. You know that you're making true disciples of Jesus Christ when your disciples are making disciples. We don't get hung up or, or caught on. We just need to get members in the door. We just need to have people profess faith. We need to mark out those numbers of professions that make us good. But no, we understand that we're given a great responsibility as the church to raise up God's people, to train them, to understand what the Scriptures teach. Oh, how I wish it were that when we profess faith in Christ, we had a complete and sufficient knowledge of the Scriptures, but we don't. We profess faith out of faith, yes, but we then must devote ourselves to studying the Word of God, to learning what Christ teaches and how we are to live. The gospel must not be kept to ourselves, Paul tells Timothy. We must pass it on. And naturally, then he turns his attention to, to illustrating this. What does it look like, Timothy, for you to be a good soldier of Christ, what does it look like for you to be willing to share even in my suffering, much like Onesiphorus that he's already cited? Paul gives us three practical attributes of a good soldier here in the first part of our passage. First, the suffering soldier is to keep the mission in mind. Notice his words in verse 4. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Now, the idea here, I think, for Paul is not that Civilian pursuits over and against those in the military are bad or good. Paul's highlighting that a soldier active in war and in combat needs to keep the mission clearly in focus. It's not that civilian pursuits are bad in of themselves, but it's that they're distracting from the task at hand. We might have a practical example here. As we remember, Uriah, as he's called off the battlefield by David, his commander, now we have to put aside for a moment all the nefarious intentions of David at that time. But as Uriah comes off the field, what does he do? He does not go down to his wife Bathsheba. He sleeps at the palace door because he's remembering all of his men, all of his compatriots at war out on the front lines. But they do not have that luxury. Unless he forget the mission at hand, he keeps himself distraction. Now what you and I need to remember as Scripture teaches is that we are at war. That this life is a battlefield for the faith. And no, our, our war is not with flesh and blood lest we make the mistake of Christianity past. We're not going on crusades against nations and people groups. 
our wars against the dark powers, the evil forces that work in this world. Our wars against the sin in our own hearts and lives. But nevertheless, we are very much at war. So much so that Paul would call us as good Christians to take on the armor of God. And to fight valiantly, but we must keep the big picture in mind. Second, a suffering soldier is like an athlete who worthily competes, playing by the rules, Paul says. An athlete, even in our day, is not crowned the victor by deceiving his opponents. We certainly see that at work in the world, but let's just remember this last round of Olympics will help us to put flesh and bone on this teaching. How important it is, how seriously the Olympic Committee takes things like drug screens or steroid abuse, how they seek to level the playing field, or, or how they take great pains in measuring, even down to the, the thousandth of a second, to make sure that the playing field is fair. And Paul's teaching that a good soldier competes by the rules. We play by the rules of society, unless they are directly contrary to the word and will of God, we submit of the land. But finally, Paul encourages Timothy that a good soldier is like a hard-working farmer. He must work hard and with pure motives in order to be rewarded. And Paul explains this truth simply elsewhere. Galatians 6, he teaches that what you reap, that will you also, or what you sow, that will you also reap. We understand that. What we sow in this life, how we work, that will we also reap. So we might understand that these illustrations help a young Timothy to see how he's to be like Paul, how he's to be a good soldier willing to suffer for Christ Jesus. We might also even see it as Paul's instruction of finding those men who would be faithful. Timothy's probably thinking, how do I know who's able to teach the gospel? Paul's giving me this command, and how, how can I find those men who are faithful that I might entrust them with the teaching of the faith? Who's likely able to guard this deposit? I want us to take a moment to think back to the example of Balaam in our opening illustration. What's Paul really driving at? Well, I, I don't want us to get caught up in the methods and motivations that we see here in the first part of the passage that do make a good soldier and, and give us good uh, equipping that we might live according to Scripture. But we need to understand that it has everything to do with the message, with the content of the faith. In other words, Paul is not teaching Timothy that to be a good soldier for Christ is just to be a good person. That's works righteousness. That's heresy. That's every other religion in the world that says if you want to be a good soldier for God, you need to be a good person. You need to measure up. Beloved, that will leave you in despair. None of us is able to measure up in that way. We will fail. If it's not today, it might be tomorrow or two weeks from now. We will drop the ball. We're not good enough to be the perfect soldier falling rank and file behind the Lord. But let's remember then the greater confidence.
was concerned with the man and his bulky donkey, as silly as that illustration might be. I think the Lord is doing something very profound with the prophet Balaam. You remember with me in the opening chapters of Numbers, the people have just come out of Egypt in the Exodus. They've, they've met with God at Mount Sinai and beheld his glory. He's given them the law, demonstrating his faithful character. He's given them the command to go into the promised land, this land that they have not won or earned that God will give them to bless them, a land flowing with milk and honey. But then what happens? The people of God send spies into the land. Oh, there are giants! Their cities are large and fortified! We can't do it! His promise to go before them. They forget His command that they are to be faithful to go in, but He has gone before them. They abandon His word, His teaching. And they follow, but sadly, not the minority report. They follow the testimony of these spies and are sent wandering in the wilderness. And that, you see, is the context of this pagan prophet onto the scene to proclaim to them the truth of who he is and how he deals with his people. And so the great irony in the story is that the people of God are like Balaam, not seeing clearly the road before them, stubbornly refusing to understand that God blesses his people, that God guards and protects his people, that God saves his people as they have just seen in the Exodus. So God reveals to his prophet and opens his eyes to see this messenger, this angel, this one who is in the army of the Lord. That's a great irony. And Paul tells us, just like he tells Timothy now, a good soldier is one who remembers Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, of the offspring of David. You see, that's the heart of the gospel. That's what must take place in order for a good soldier to be faithful. We need to see our commander clearly. We need to understand that Christ is not dead. He's not impotent in his leading and guarding and guiding. He's living. He's conquering. He's reigning over all the world. And there's nothing that can separate us love, not even suffering, not even persecution, not even death. But remember from chapter 1, Jesus has abolished death, and he's brought life and immortality to life in the gospel. And so Paul says that he's willing to be bound in chains as a criminal. He's willing to endure all things because the word of God is not bound. Beloved, this testimony of Jesus cannot be bound. Nero was trying by all his might in the the early centuries of the church. The Roman government was trying to squash and to snuff out Christianity, and the more that they oppressed Christians, the more that the gospel spread. And that's what we see here, even in our passage. It's the heartbeat of every successful war. I'm not arguing for war here. 
you see me in chains, Timothy, these chains will fall off in the Lord Jesus Christ because he is a conquering king. And so Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they might obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. We need to understand if we're to suffer and fight, if we're to endure all things, we must have a clear picture of why we're fighting. You must have a clear understanding that Jesus is alive. Not just a story. Not the figment of someone's imagination and wishful thinking, but an actual human being standing in our place before God Almighty. That He is risen in order to rule and to reign. compelled by a vision of God to proclaim the truth, you and I must be as well. We must understand Christ. We must understand God's mission has always been to protect His people from the time of the Exodus to the time of the conquest of the Promised Land to the time of the life of Christ who would live and die and resurrect for us even until the day when He will return. God's mission save us, even from ourselves, to protect us, to preserve us. But do you believe this? Paul is asking Timothy, Timothy, are you willing to suffer for this? He instructs us as well, we'll never be willing to suffer for the gospel if we don't understand it. You'll never be willing to lay down your life in this age if you think that your life is yours or that this is the only life we have. Why would anyone give up something so precious as life unless he knew that there was eternal life in Christ? Unless he had a clear picture of Christ resurrected to know and to take assurance that he would be resurrected when Christ returns. That we can give up because we will get it back again. And as Christ says, even tenfold of what we give up, that which we will receive. Beloved, do you see Jesus risen? There are a lot of different pictures of Christ out there in our culture. Do you see Christ alive, standing before God? And do you understand that as He stands standing there for you and for me. Let's take encouragement from Paul's last few words in our passage, words of application about the Lord Jesus. He says, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for God cannot deny himself. that God is not a man that he should lie. God is not a son of man that he should change his mind. You see, the point is that God is fixed. And he has proclaimed Christ as vindicated, as a man who is able 
to rise from the dead because he is righteous. And if that man is standing in your stead, if Jesus Christ is standing in my place, God cannot deny himself. You see, beloved, he looks at Christ and he sees me. He looks at the Lord Jesus, risen in all of his glory, and he sees you. And there's not a thing in this world that can take you away from that, that can separate you from the love of God in Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel. Paul's saying, until we understand that message, until it's rooted in our heart, we won't follow as a good soldier. We won't go into the world where those who are still denying Jesus, we won't proclaim the truth of the gospel until it has hold of our hearts. Let us pray that the Lord would encourage us, would bring to our remembering that Jesus is the risen King, that we might keep being strengthened in the grace that is in Jesus Christ.